The first reading um, for tonight uh, can be found in Luke. It's Luke chapter 1, starting from verse 26. That's Luke chapter 1, starting from verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The second reading for tonight um, can be found in Acts uh, chapter 27. Acts chapter 27, starting from verse 13. That can be found on page 1125. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cowder, We were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, They threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you, To keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. 
Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen to me just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. This is God's word. Thanks, Lewis. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that as men and women, we thrive and flourish when we embrace the purpose we were created for displaying who God is together as men and women fill and rule the earth together and displaying who God is distinctly as uh, men take up and uh, step up with responsibility for work and worship as uh, women being helpers to the helpless. But last week we saw that we fail to fulfill this purpose. Fallen man avoids because of fear Uh, And a fallen woman takes control because of being insecure about God's love. In doing so, we are less than what we could and should be. But more than that, in doing so, we display an image of God that is far, far less than who he really is. And so all of us stand with Adam and Eve, fallen, broken, smashed mirrors, Along with them, we stand outside, thrown out of paradise, banished, banished from God's loving, life-filled presence, unable to get back in, just waiting for death and judgment. So far, our hopes for thriving as men and women are not looking particularly good. But Genesis 3 is not all bad news. Those other readings that were read, um, that's going to make sense in in a moment. But let's stay with Genesis 3 for now. Speaking to the snake in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. So Adam and Eve, they're standing outside the garden, banished. But they have hope because one day someone will come who's going to step on that snake and break his power. And though they stand outside, naked and ashamed, they also have hope that God will not leave them exposed forever. Because again, Genesis 3, verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. It shows that God hasn't given up on them and God hasn't given up on us either. He offers a far more effective covering than fig leaves. And today, we don't just have hope like Adam and Eve have. Today we have an answer. Uh, Men, if you feel unfulfilled and insignificant, there is an answer to that. If 
your responsibilities tower before you like an insurmountable cliff face. There is, a, there is an answer to that. Women, uh, if you feel impossibly stretched by a ridiculous number of expectations and pulls on your energy and time, there is an answer to that. If you feel underappreciated and unloved, there is an answer. We can thrive as men and women, and not just in the here and now. But the thing is, you know already that I'm going to tell you that the answer is Jesus. You know that. At which point some of you are going to switch off because you kind of think, oh, of course, that's kind of obvious. I've heard all that before. I know it. But if you really knew it, I'm not sure your life would be quite as full of fear and insecurity as it currently is. Jesus is the answer to flourishing as men and women. We're going to look at two reasons. Firstly, Jesus is the answer to flourishing as men and women because Jesus fulfills our purpose. That dream uh, where you walk into school or work and you're not wearing quite enough clothes. Um, <laughs> you're desperate to cover yourself, but nothing quite works. Uh, and even in a dream, it's, it's horrifically embarrassing. Now, here's a test. Let's be honest. At one point in your life, how many of you have had that dream? Go on, be honest. Be, oh, you're, all, you're liars. You're liars. It's a universal human experience. Um, so many people have had that dream. Why is that? Could it be that the dream is true? Failing to fulfill their purpose, we've already said that Adam and Eve stand naked and ashamed outside the garden, clutching at nothing but fig leaves. And we stand with them. We sew together fig leaves of power, success, praise, uh, self-righteousness or control, but none of it quite works. We can't quite seem to shake the shame. We can't quite cover, cover our fallen nakedness. And it's because we failed as images of God. We failed in our purpose. All of us, with one exception, Because, of course, Jesus is the exception. We are made in the image of God. But uh, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, we read that God the Son is the image of the invisible God. Here's an illustration that I love. It's from a guy called Athanasius, who was an Egyptian theologian in the 4th century. He says this. You know what happens when a portrait that has been painted on a panel becomes obliterated through external stains. The artist doesn't throw away that panel, but the subject of the portrait has to come and sit for it again. And then the likeness is redrawn on the same material. Even so was it with the all-holy Son of God, He, the image of the Father, came and dwelt in our midst in order that he might renew mankind, 
made after himself. Jesus came to be and renew that human image of God that we distorted. He came to be the mirror that perfectly reflects God's beauty to the world that we could never be. He came to display God as he truly is. There never was a moment of distortion. Everything he said and did was a perfect representation of who God is, of what he is like. And unlike Adam, unlike Eve, unlike the rest of us, he refused to distort that image through fear and insecurity. That's what we were talking about last week. He refused to resort to avoidance or control. We could talk about Jesus' temptation uh, in the wilderness when the tempter came to him. But this is also so striking when Jesus came to his other great temptation in Gethsemane. It's dark. The twelve disciples, they've had their last supper. Judas has gone out into the night. As they walk out the east gates of Jerusalem, Jesus has given his final instructions to his followers. But now, as the incline begins to steepen, they walk in silence. Before long, they're surrounded by olive trees. They're in a garden. And then Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he walks on a little further. He staggers and he falls face down to the ground, tears mixing with the dust of the earth. And he prays, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. He's talking about the cup of God's wrath against sin. And ever since Adam and Eve fell, ever since they avoided and took control, ever since they gave in to the snake and fear and insecurity, drip by drip by drip, they have been filling up this cup of God's wrath. And throughout Jesus' life, it's like this cup has been getting closer and closer and closer until in Gethsemane, in that garden, with the cross just hours away, he gets a glimpse over the rim and what he sees is horrifying. He's going to face judgment. But Jesus doesn't give in to fear and insecurity. He doesn't avoid or take control. He entrusts himself to his father's care. And he says wonderfully, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he embraces his purpose. He gets up and he walks willingly into the hands of his betrayer. Jesus succeeded where we failed. No insecurity, no fear, no grasping control or avoidance. And remember, all of us standing with Adam and Eve, naked and ashamed, outside of the garden. Well, after Jesus' trial, he too was stripped naked and humiliated, made to walk through the streets of Jerusalem. And there was no more shameful death than the cross, surrounded by people pointing and mocking him. Yet shame wasn't the end of his story because three days later he rose in glory, not a fig leaf in sight. He was clothed in white. 
shining. And he rose to the highest place as king. And now, as Adam and Eve were meant to do all along, as we were meant to do all along, he is filling and ruling the world. Filling as churches grow and the spirit moves. Ruling as more and more knees bend to his reign. And more and more tongues confess that he is Lord. Jesus has fulfilled our purpose as images of God. But how does, how does that help? How does that help? If you've just failed your driving test and someone else has passed and they're kind of celebrating in your face, that, that, doesn't, really, that doesn't really help, does it? It's not helpful at all. How does Jesus succeeding where we failed do us any good? Because he doesn't leave us naked and ashamed standing outside the garden. His success was for us. The reason he experienced that shame on the cross was because he was taking our sin on his shoulders. He went through our shame so that he could cover us in his glory cover us in his glory. He is the covering that God was pointing to when he clothed Adam and Eve. When God looks at a Christian, he doesn't see a man who's avoided leading his family in worship. He doesn't see a man who has displayed a distorted image of who God is. When God looks at a Christian, he doesn't see a woman who has stolen control through people-pleasing, busyness, or helplessness. He doesn't see a woman who has misrepresented the beauty of God. Before God, a Christian man or woman is clothed in the glory of Christ. We are not naked and ashamed if we're in Jesus And we are welcome in paradise. Is that you? It's a simple choice. It's a simple choice that all of us have to make between shame and glory, between paradise and banishment, between life and death. And if you choose Jesus, glory and paradise and life forever is yours. I'd love to talk to you more if you're thinking about that choice at the moment. Maybe you could grab me afterwards. Jesus is the answer to male and female flourishing because he fulfills our purpose and clothes us, covers us in his glory. And secondly, Jesus is the answer because he enables our purpose. It's not that Jesus just does the job for us. Actually, he enables us to be the people we were meant to be all along. He enables us to be the men and women that God intended us to be. And he does this in a number of ways. But one of them is by crushing the snake. That's what was promised in Genesis 3. 
Satan's power over humanity, it's sin. But we also saw last week that the snake's power over fallen man is fear. And we saw that the snake, his power over fallen woman is insecurity. But by succeeding where we failed, by taking our sin and our shame, by facing death and rising from the grave, Jesus defeated Satan and crushed that snake. So in the life of a redeemed man or woman, Satan no longer holds, holds us in sin, fear and insecurity. Jesus has crushed that snake and that power is gone. So this is where our earlier readings come in. I want us to consider them as kind of case studies of what redeemed men and women look like. There's nothing unique about the man and the woman that I'm going to mention. Um, They're just normal people, but normal people transformed by Jesus and by his Spirit. Let's start with um, the example of redeemed woman from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Of course, we know this story well, and it's definitely the wrong season. But in my family, we start listening to carols in like September, so it's fine. Mary is a great example of a redeemed woman transformed by Jesus. Consider the... (laughs) The situation she's put in, it's impossible. If any woman had reason to doubt God's word and feel out of control, surely it was Mary, an unmarried virgin, a poor nobody, told that she would give birth to a king who would reign forever. Impossible. Impossible. But her reaction was the complete opposite of Eve's in the garden. If you look in verse 38 of Luke chapter 1, this is what Mary says. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Fallen woman would have doubted and seized control. But Mary trusts God's word and as a servant submits to her sovereign Lord. How could she do this? How could she do this? Because she was secure, secure in her God's favor towards her in Christ. The angel said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. And then even the angel even repeats that. Uh, so that's verse 28. But then in verse 30 as well, Mary, you have found favour with God. Secure in this knowledge of God's favour, Mary trusts God's word and embraces his control. Redeemed woman is remarkably powerful. Redeemed woman is a force of nature. Redeemed woman embraces her purpose because she is secure in God's favor through Jesus. The father has given her his son. What greater evidence of his love 
could she possibly ask for? The snake's power has been crushed. Now, remember those, um, those portraits of fallen woman from last week. I apologize if you weren't with us last week. Um, you can listen to it on the website. And just see how each of these five portraits is transformed, turned around by the security that Jesus brings. Little girl. Little girl no longer has to feign helplessness to get others to care for her. She is secure in God's love because Jesus has shown her that, as we, as we read, the Lord is with her. He cares for her. He cares for her. So she can stand on her own two feet and be the one who helps others, not just the one who is helped by others. Party girl. Party girl no longer needs to charm people to their faces and constantly compare herself to others. She is secure in God's love because Jesus saw her at her worst and still came for her. So party girl can now drop the show and be real. She can use words not just to charm, but, but, to, um, but to build others up and to speak of her saviour. Good girl. Good girl no longer needs to have a perfect reputation. She, again, is secure in God's love because Jesus taught her the meaning of grace. Now she can turn to God even on her worst days, and she can help others without the need for praise because she knows she has God's smile. Busy girl. Busy girl no longer needs to charge about doing everything for everyone. She's secure in God's love because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. She is now free uh, not to be a a Martha doing all the jobs, but to be a, a Mary, if you know that story, sitting at Jesus' feet. Tough girl. Tough girl no longer needs to demand that others bend to her will. She is secure in God's love because Jesus came for her while she was still weak. Now she can face up to the weakness in herself and she can care for the weakness in others. In all these ways, in all these portraits, redeemed woman, secure in God's love, displays to the world what God is really like. Freed from insecurity and the need to control, like Mary, she can willingly take her place in God's sovereign plan. In doing so, she thrives because all the competing responsibilities and expectations are simplified into just one question. Where does this fit in God's agenda? Not in my agenda. Where does this fit in God's agenda? And the more she asks this, the more she displays God's glory and the more she flourishes as a helper to the helpless. Women of Christ Church, you are loved. Your father is in control and you can trust that he wants the best for you. He could give you no greater proof than he's already given in sending his son. Convinced of this, will you say with Mary, I am the Lord's servant. 
may your word to me be fulfilled. You know, our sovereign God is really quite good at keeping all those plates spinning. So it's okay if you let one wobble from time to time. Now, let's think about redeemed man. What does a man look like now that Jesus has crushed the snake? This was our reading in Acts. Again, um, there's nothing unique about Paul. He's a normal man transformed by Jesus and the power of the Spirit. We might not know his story from Acts 27 quite so well. Paul's mission was to take the gospel to Rome and the ends of the earth. But um, along the way, God planned that he would get there by being arrested. And it got even worse because as he was on the way to Rome to be put on trial, the ship he was on got stuck in a terrible storm. Now, how would fallen man react in that situation? Fallen man would uh, respond, of course, with fear and just completely avoid any responsibility that he had. He'd try and run in the opposite direction. But Paul doesn't respond like Adam did. Verse 21 of Acts 27. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the, uh, uh, the angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. He keeps up his courage and he embraces his mission. And actually more than that, he leads the other men on the ship in doing exactly the same. How could Paul do this? There's nothing special about Paul. So how could he do this? Jesus had dispelled his fears. Towards the end of Acts, there are all sorts of parallels between Paul's mission ultimately to Rome and Jesus' mission to the cross. Both face a series of trials. Both are, um, oh, both of them face, uh, set their faces towards Jerusalem, even though everyone thinks it's a bad idea. Both are, um, hand, both are arrested by a Jewish mob, but then handed over to Roman soldiers. Um, both break bread in an upper room. Both of them are comforted by an angel in the face of their sufferings, as Paul was here in this reading. And all these parallels, they're deliberate. They're there to show that Paul is just continuing Jesus' mission. Paul's mission and Jesus' mission, they're the same. They are one and the same. How encouraging for Paul to know that on that ship, Jesus had walked this path of suffering before him. How encouraging for Paul to know that ultimately this was not his mission, this was Jesus' mission, and so Jesus would see it through. How encouraging for Paul to know that 
even though this path leads through suffering, carrying your cross, as Jesus did, ultimately leads to glory. Bearing all this in mind, what does he have to fear? Redeemed man embraces his purpose because Jesus has dispelled his fears. Just look at how, um, again, those five portraits of fallen man from last week are transformed by Jesus in the same way. Little boy, he no longer has to avoid responsibility by escaping into gaming or alcohol. He doesn't fear being exposed because as he steps up to take on work and worship, He knows, as Paul did, that Jesus will not leave him alone. Because it's Jesus' mission, not his. Encouraged by this, little boy can can actually take on life, can actually make decisions. Party boy. Party boy no longer needs to hide the real him through charm and image. He doesn't fear being exposed because Jesus loves the real him without all the show. Encouraged by this, party boy can actually commit to relationships, can stick at a job, even if people recognize his flaws. What about good boy? Good boy no longer has to avoid through people pleasing. He doesn't fear taking the lead anymore because Jesus shows that God will be pleased with him even if nobody else is. And God's smile is far more valuable to him than the praise of others. Encouraged by this, he will be able to do and say not just what is popular, but what is loving. Fourth example, distant boy. Distant boy no longer needs to keep others at arm's reach by chasing success. He no longer fears failure or not making something of his life because he knows that Jesus' success, it's that that was essential, not his success. So he's free to make mistakes. Encouraged by this, he can commit to relationships because it's okay for people to see that he's not perfect. And last portrait, macho boy. Macho boy no longer needs to hide any signs of emotion or weakness. He doesn't fear disorder, whether that's within or without, because he knows now that it's Jesus' mission to redeem, not his. Encouraged by this, he can serve as best as he can in this age, secure in the knowledge that perfect order will come when Jesus returns. In all these ways, redeemed man, freed from fear, can display to the world what God is really like. Like Paul, we can take responsibility because we are freed from ultimate responsibility. That's important. Like Paul, we can take responsibility because we are freed from ultimate responsibility. Ultimate responsibility belongs to Jesus alone. So we don't need to fear. We just work alongside him. Men of Christ Church, our God doesn't need you to carry out your responsibilities perfectly. 
That's Jesus' job. You're going to stumble under the burden. You're going to trip up and fall over sometimes. But don't ever let that stop you from picking up the burden in the first place. Jesus' job is perfectly carrying out that responsibility. Our job is just to follow imperfectly after him. In conclusion, many of you would say that you know that Jesus is the answer. Many of you would would say that you know that already, but what do our What do our lives show that we believe? Do our lives show that we believe that Jesus is the answer? Or do our lives show that we are still ruled by fear, by insecurity? The more you dwell on Jesus, your Redeemer, the more you preach this gospel to yourself day by day, the more you will thrive as men and women in Christ, because he fulfills our purpose, covering us in glory, and he enables our purpose by crushing that snake. Follow him. Follow him. He will clothe you in his glory. He will free you from fear and insecurity. He will redeem you from the power of the snake, and he will qualify you for his kingdom of light forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for our Redeemer. Thank you that we, trusting in him, are no longer naked and ashamed. Thank you that he is our covering. Thank you that in him we are glorious and gloriously welcomed into your kingdom. Father, we pray that that would be true for every single one of us. And please help us every day this week, to see more and more his transforming power. In his name we pray. Amen.